Okay, and welcome to the very first episode of Wind Your Neck and delighted to welcome my pal Alex Grove on. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, just a brief history, uh, correct me if any of this is wrong, Grovesy, but I, I intend on embarrassing you here with some incredible stats. Um, brief history of your career, 153 Worcester Cups, 12 Edinburgh Cups, and to complement that, you had seven Scotland A Cups and you managed to get three Scottish Caps over a t- roughly a 12-year career. It's about right, I think. About yeah. right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds fair enough. I appreciate you coming on. I think um, most people who are going to listen to this are aware of what you're doing currently. But I would like to just get stuck straight in and go back to the very start. So if if you can wind your wind your memory back, you know, 12 to 14 years ago, starting as a young, optimistic fella, Scottish under-18s, 19s, 20s, and breaking your way through at the very early stages at Worcester, what was the environment like for a young guy at that stage? And... And what were your experiences? It's quite a good environment, actually. I have good good memories from those times, and that's probably more down to the the, the people, really. Um, a, a lot of good friends I've still got from those academy days at Worcester, um, and I think we were quite lucky. We had a, a talented group who were just coming out of school or sixth form, and um, yeah, Worcester's academy was was pretty strong, I think, compared to mm. a lot of the other Premiership clubs. You know, I'm sure. A lot of those clubs are now caught up and maybe but you know gone past Worcester's uh, academy potentially. I'm not, I'm not really sure what it looks like at the moment, but we were competitive and, and I think we saw that when a lot of people, a lot of those boys, then kicked on and played a lot of first team rugby or went to other first team Premiership clubs and uh, made a career for themselves there. Yeah, do you do you have you know fond memories of, of the older boys as you grew up you know it's something I remember at Ulster I have I have really fond memories of some of the kind of elder statesmen at the club making the environment what it was oh mate 100% yeah I mean yeah I was thinking I was trying to I think I had this conversation recently with someone I can't remember who but it was um, sort of comparing that it was more of an old school environment mm. um, versus what it is now obviously much more professional but it has to be mm. it, it's not like you'd want it to go back to what it used to be like but it's kind of like you say nice remembering some of the yeah. the stories and the, the characters um if you know mentioning mentioning a few names like chris and lee 40 twin yeah. brothers from gloucester and just no let off whatsoever i remember it was like miles benjamin it was you know he's one of the one of my close mates through rugby we, we came through the academy together miles yeah. got his break um, I think it was in like second year at Worcester took it, was scoring tries for fun and you know, it's sort of like first day at a new club or when you get promoted into the first team you've got to go into the first team changing room and put your bag somewhere so he's put his bag corner of the changing room between both the four O's oh no <laughs> like, couldn't have picked a worse spot I can't say the language he said who the fuck is that boy <laughs> and his bag has sort of been frisbeed yeah. across the room at like head height um, and it yeah sort of pinballed around and eventually found his spot but um, yeah that, you know certainly those two just relentless but but great people to have in the squad and yeah. um, uh, certainly miss being miss being around those guys and but yeah there, there are a few characters like that for sure absolutely I think you know it, it is different now I, I see it having gone through it I'm not saying I was you know you, you hear stories of people having to clean boots and you know Millsy always tells a story about how he used to have to make endless cups of tea mm. and some I think to a certain degree that is quite character building for some of the young boys and I do you know it's not like that anymore not not saying it's right or wrong but it's changed yeah I thought, oh, 
Yeah, I think there's a, a bit of a balance, you know, it's not bullying at all. I mean, remember Goody made one of the lads make him a cup of tea and he had to stir it, was it <laughs> a five and a six, five times clockwise and six times anti-clockwise. <laughs> or he wouldn't drink it. Otherwise he'd send it back. <laughs> <laughs> As if it tasted different, you know. And um, yeah, it's character building and it's yeah. it's the, it's the it's same. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, and it's, again, it was people... You know they weren't victims or anything like that, but they they enjoyed, you know, that responsibility or, or being, you know, mucking in with the older players. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely character building, and you know, I think nowadays you just got to be so careful, haven't you? You know, if you say the wrong thing to someone, then it's can be taken the wrong way. And yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. there's a bit of balance and con and context is important. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, do you remember your debut? Uh, for Worcester, for Worcester, yeah, definitely. Who, yeah. who was it against? Well, so my first uh, appearance was was off the bench in a in a the old Anglo Welsh. Mm. It was the EDF Cup back then. Um, <laughs> the old, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they even exist now. EDF. The only person I know who's played in the EDF was Blackie. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I think he was playing it was against <laughs> Quinns Friday night. Yeah, um, and there were about twelve injuries in the centre and. Um, uh, John Brain, the director of rugby at the time, who's unfortunately not around anymore. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I've been been in the academy for, including pre-season, I suppose, about six months up until then, and uh, he sort of drafted me in because they were down to the bare bones, and and he's just I, he, my biggest surprise that night was not necessarily the standard of the rugby mm. at first team level but the fact that he knew my name because he'd never spoken to me until he had yeah. to come and shake my hand and say Alex yep all the best tonight um but yeah you remember that and it, it was a yeah a special moment you having only played really a bit of club rugby and school rugby up until then mm. um but yeah my first first league start was uh, a year later against Wasps. So you broke in quite early, that's fair to say, because you were, you know, I know it's easier for backs to break in slightly younger, but it almost seemed like from when you made that first appearance, you played fairly regularly from, from then on. Yeah, I think um, certainly that group, or major a lot of, majority of that group I referred to in the academy, sort of started around 2005 6 um, era. Yes, it was it was quite a strong group, but mm. also you know you, you do have to have a bit of luck opportunities, and we we got that. Um, my product was DOR after John Brain. He was at Worcester for three years. It, it seems to be that sort of period. You know, nothing more, nothing less with Worcester coaches. <laughs> three year cycle, back off you go. Next one, roll a bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Mike Roddick, great bloke, like such a good guy. Yeah, yeah, we had a bit of fun. I mean, we. Were, too often competing at the wrong end of the table, but um, Mike was my un under twenties Arsenal oh, coach. So of course, yeah, because uh, um, his son has gone down yeah, the archery as well. Yeah, so Kieran and Reese both yeah. played under twenties, and and Mike came over, and what a breath of fresh air he was over there. He right. used to, we, you know, at under twenties, every it can be taken so seriously, and he came in and. We trained really hard, but he used to get the guitar out Mate, and we so, have a few beers. So I was just about to say, we played, um, who was it? I think London Irish at the Medeski mm. got hosed in a game that we believe we should have won, certainly leading up to it. So come in Monday and it's, right, your tin hat's on in the changing room. You know, everyone's, it wasn't, it wasn't hoggy at the time, but <laughs> I think it must have been Clive Griffiths, you know, the head coach, 
as the Grim Reaper, you know, how's the family? Can I have a word? <laughs> you dropped for the weekend. Um, so obviously ev- everyone's been dropped and you know, new team come in, but actually it wasn't that bad. Did the debrief, did all the physio stuff. Then it was like, right, um, we're expecting, you know, full metal jackets. We're going tin yeah. hats on, full on. They're like, meters over on the, the amateur pitches, the other side of the roundabout. What are we doing here? You the know, worst fears the, the are take, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so we're going, going to the worst pitch to do the worst session. This is a proper punishment. So we get over there and the, the catering staff had provided a full barbecue, <laughs> beers, and Rudds is there with his guitar yeah. singing American Pie. And we, we didn't know if it was a test. Should we really have stayed inside and be doing yeah. fitness and like as a punishment or yeah. do we muck in? And it was a full-on Monday afternoon team social. Yeah. Impromptu. So we've sort of... We, we, we've rolled into Worcester, you know, rolled out of Worcester at silly o'clock and then had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off, turned up Friday for a team run and beat Gloucester at home on the Saturday. It's the magic of rugby. So, final whistle, we're like, what time's the barbecue on Monday? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it lasted one week, but, you know, I don't think, I don't think you'd have got the same reaction if you did it every week. But, no. what, you know, right thing to do as a one-off and, and, I can't. I just can't imagine that kind of thing happening now. Maybe it does. I think it's few and far between. Now. It is. You know, it? I think yeah. the turnarounds are having not played back then. It would be unfair for me to say, but I, I, I can only speak personally. The turnaround on your body is so tight nowadays. 100%. It's you know, you play on a Saturday and it's genuinely Wednesday by the time I feel yeah. normal. So, yeah. um, maybe, you know, don't get me wrong. I'd be keen for a Monday mate, session can, barbecue, mate, but mate, you can do it now. Genuinely. It's, it sounds really cliche, but it's way more physical, way quicker, and bodies haven't sort of grown at the rate yeah. of physicality and speed of the game. I don't yeah. think. I think they tend to target people. more the weeks off, and and yeah. the opportunities for socials are based around them. But in that in, in that instance, Mike Ruddick got hit the nail on the head. Oh man, world class! A way a way to bring <laughs> a way to bring a group of men together after what was obviously a disappointing loss. Um, Hats off to you, Mike. Hats off. <laughs> so we, we're going to skip forward. I, I was interested to know this this break that when you went to Edinburgh, I'm assuming was focused around a, a, a definite interest on your behalf to try and get to the World Cup. Well, it was actually... So I'd, I'd um, been given an opportunity to... Well, rewind a bit further, actually. Andy Robinson had just taken over Scotland Day um, and there were two or three games uh, I think it was 2009 summer I think clearly his ambition was then to kick on and be the national yeah. team coach uh, which we we had a good run as an A team and then in a summer where there were no national team fixtures mm. he then uh, yeah it must have been yeah Lions tour that was it oh, no. yeah. he then got a national team job and as a new coach in any environment tends to do they like to put their own spin on something in terms yeah. of selection so I was one of the fortunate ones got given a crack chucked in we won a couple of games in that autumn and that year 2009-10 Worcester got relegated so it was a real downer on that from on that front but then obviously the Scotland stuff was was going well and I was trying to edge my way a bit further into that mix absolutely still had a year on my contract spoke to Cecil and told him listen I love the club want to stay he believed me, which was good because I meant it. Yeah. Um, and we came to an agreement where re-signed, but the first six months of that would be a loan arrangement with Edinburgh just to keep myself in the mix. 
as it happened, didn't play well enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was always going to be a short term thing, and then went back, finished the second half of that season at Worcester. And we, yeah, because that was then championship. So we that was in time to to get back into the yeah, championship. So we came back up and um, final stages, playoffs, and finals. And yeah, stuff. another crazy playoffs or the first is, of, is that the Bedford game that I've heard or that, Pirates game Bedford game the was Bedford a mad game. one yeah right on a par with the Bristol one that you played in a, four years later which is berserk because I couldn't comprehend any Different, game being as yeah. mental as that well no I say the Bristol oh, yeah Bristol one was was clean enough wasn't it but I have heard like I, people talk about it in folklore you know in Worcester like that Bedford game people do say it's on par uh, what was the context of the game it was well, there's a context. It was the league. It was the structure of the league. And you're thinking, you know, grown adults, I was going to say grown men, but grown adults have sat around a room and thought, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have everyone play home and away like a normal season. And then after that, we'll split the top eight into two groups <laughs> of four and they'll play each other home and away. So, what, another six games? For the crack. Before the sort of sudden death. Yeah. So we finished 19 points clear of, of Pirates that year. Mm. And then we're split into two, and then we're on a level playing field with Pirates in this sort of pre-playoff playoff system. Which is just mental. Shambles. Like if the season's not long enough and you've still got the... There's no incentive to go and it, win the league. It's ridiculous. I think we finished in like October that season. <laughs> <laughs> just in time for pre-season yeah, to start. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we we topped that mini league, and then it was a, the weird thing. After all this, it came down to a a one like a one off semi final. Mm. The final was over two legs, but the semi final was one leg. Oh my goodness! Which, if you if anything, you obviously do it the other way around, don't you? You have a, absolutely a shoot out of the final and a one off final, yeah, of course. So this <laughs> this one off game against Bedford at home, Bedford couldn't even get promoted because you have to have certain regulations and standards in place. Car yeah. parking this and the other. I don't know, we've obviously saved our worst performance of the season for this one-off game. <laughs> and uh, I was actually on the bench for this, so I'm watching thinking, oh no, lads, come on, come on. I've seen, <laughs> and as everyone's probably seen, Kitchener, who's obviously now back at Worcester, he's gone through, he's made a line break, it's what, 10 minutes to go. Yeah. He's already signed for Leicester, it's been announced, and he's giving it the point to the North Stand, <laughs> celebrating... He's going under six and he drops it. Every man, dog, woman, child in the stand has seen him drop it over the line. And yeah. he's tried to like cover up. You know, he's trying to block Stuart Hogg style. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. It was far more obvious than that. Yeah. I think they just brought in the... They actually had TMO. For, it was on Sky, so they had TMO. Yeah. So he's dropped it. I couldn't look him in the eye. Honestly, I mean, you didn't need to give him a bollocking because... No, I'm sure he, he felt didn't terrible do it enough. deliberately. Yeah, but yeah. He just thought, mate. You had one job. <laughs> just the ball down. And then, yeah, I think uh, they missed a job goal or something to, to win it. And, oh, yeah. We, I think uh, Kai Horseman scored a try, which, again, shouldn't have been a try to win mm. the game. So a whole host of uh, sort of dramatical bits of play in the last yeah. seven, eight minutes. But much like the one you played in. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, uh, even thinking about it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. It's just... Uh, a berserk game. Before yeah. we get to that match, I'm interested to know, so off the back of the, the break to Edinburgh, in order to try and continue and pursue that Scottish um, opportunity, how do you reflect on that international career in general? Now, I know 
you know maybe not as many caps as you'd like maybe maybe you feel like you did as well as you should have i think not as not as many as you deserved how do you reflect on it in general as a whole and did you play in that australia game where they beat them nine six uh or nine nine eight nine classic. eight yes absolutely classic um yeah i would obviously love to have played more games mm. um that kind of goes without saying but i it sounds really cheesy but i think certainly when you finish playing i'm, I'm definitely proud to have played as many of course for you as, as i did and similar to the, the the question you asked about muster in the academy and again it's really cliche but it is about the people yeah and obviously you'd be dining out on the australia game <laughs> for another and, four years and, well and the, and the rest <laughs> um but you know, you, you share good moments with people who yeah. become good friends and it's, you know, binding, isn't it? And then, um, you know, a bit like those finals, yeah. they're, good, they're good memories. Uh, you come out just on the right side of them. So obviously they're, they're great memories, but um, I, th- I think that's kind of what it's all about at the end yeah. of the day. And yeah, of course, I'd love to have more of those over more more caps, but... Um, Do you think if you'd played in Scotland full-time, you'd have had a better chance? Glasgow, well, sorry, Edinburgh did me a favour when went on loan. They didn't necessarily need any centres. Mm. Um, so it kept me playing top flight rugby uh, in that shop window for international rugby. So, yeah, you know, great. You know, I was grateful to them for, for, ha- for having me and for, for playing me. Um, did I play as well as I could have done when I was there? No. Were there other players playing better than me? Yes. So I don't necessarily, I don't feel hard done by that I didn't play any more games. Mm. That's just being really honest, you know. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, yeah, loads of players think, oh, you know, the coach is this, the coach is that. You know, I know Andy Robinson gets a lot of stick, but ultimately he gave me an opportunity. So he he could have given me a few more, but he gave me a crack. So I'll always be grateful for having having that go in the first place, you know what I mean? I think it's a great way to look at it because no one likes to play that victim card. Yeah. Um, Yeah. you played at the end of the day the reality is you played for your country and you played at the highest level that that many professional rugby players and irrelevant of professional rugby players rugby players will get to so that's an amazing i know <clears throat> i know when i go into your house there's scott there's your scottish jerseys hanging up yeah on the entrance on, on the, the every every room just just so people enough, can see it <laughs> so replicas yeah they bought the replicas and got them signed um but i think that's a it's a nice way to look at it but that australia game i remember being in a in a in an airport i can't remember where i was going i watched it because obviously you know rugby knows himself i watched it on my ipad and it was berserk that's keen mate yeah it's quite keen that's keen i know it was we again did not deserve to win that they had uh, genuinely they had three disallowed tries <laughs> like there's 21 points <laughs> you know what I mean and he still had a kick to win it at the end yeah. so but it doesn't say that does it doesn't say that on the, on the, on the scorebooks mate you're, you're a winner against Australia okay so we move to the next stage and I think you know this is where I suppose where we first met fight really hard in the premiership that year when Dean joined and then unfortunately at the end of that season they get relegated yeah. Um, I know there was a load of really close games, you know, in particular I think Smithy scored a hat trick against Worcester to relegate them effectively. Yeah. Um and then in, in in turn ended up joining the club. Think, yeah, I think he'd already signed for us then. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so <laughs> you'll go well, well in the champion though. <laughs> yeah. He'll tear up. Um what you did. Um so 
we there's a there's a big influx of players in that championship year and Dean's yeah. visions you can start to see it kind of coming in with recruitment and the makeup of his squad optimism going into that that championship year yeah I mean I thought we always kind of knew from the start of that year that it was a a, a two horse race you know with with ourselves and, and Bristol obviously you know and I think the the, the gulf between Prem and Champ then was significant. I think yep. it's even more significant now. Potentially. And, and, and the gulf between different teams in that league certainly then was was vast. Yep. You know, had Worcester and, and Bristol who were operating as a as a business, as a as a, as a premiership club. Yeah. Um multi million pound organisations yeah, against, versus uh, yeah, versus the likes of, of Rotherham at Plymouth. the time. Were Plymouth, yeah, Plymouth. We played Plymouth away, um, and I never forget it. It was like one of our first away games, and I yeah. couldn't, I didn't know what I got myself into. Oh, mate, Pat, Pat Gwellies. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean? Jeez, that is like. It was pretty dark, but I mean, we I think we squeaked out a win, and uh, I think we had some pretty hard words said afterwards, but it was kind of one of those where I felt like I'd arrived in the championship. Like, this is what we have ahead of I just, us. That was, a, no, that was a cup game. Was that a cup game? Was it the cup that game year, we played though, in there? Regardless. The, the B&I? Yeah, yeah. Or, no, I played in that. Yeah, awful, awful game of rugby. Yeah. Rain coming in sideways, pissing down, yeah. and I just remember you played Dean. It twice, though, yeah. yeah, and Dean just saying like, "Just get short and let's get out of here." Yeah, and that was kind of our attitude to a lot of the games, wasn't it? Like we we were there to do business, but we did enjoy ourselves off the field too. Yeah, I think well, I think what's the point if you don't? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. it was always going to come down to the the playoffs. The the everyone knew the structure of that league very different from. The last time was to win the league with the, yeah. as, as we talked about the mini playoff system, um, but providing you finished in the top two, you were going to that's it. So yeah. that's all you had to do. Of course, you want to finish top of the pile psychologically, mm. could give you the edge, but it doesn't really count for anything. With that in mind, you know, Dean could mix it up with selection. He could afford to rest boys. We could have a bit more fun yeah. than we would do if we're in, in the in the prem environment and um so if you don't what's the point i think the atmosphere of the club had changed slightly too you know having spoken to people who had you know yourself and johnny and pens who were who were kind of the the hangover from the year before there was a there was a different feeling around the club mm. i know that that premiership year had been quite dark at times mm. so it was almost like drawing a line in the sand and we needed to try and we needed to build towards putting out our best performance against that bristol team whenever we mm. met them we knew it would probably be in a final. We we could we weren't looking ahead of anybody. You know, we went to London Scottish in the semi final, the first leg, and like it was tighter than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. But it was all geared towards that that final against Bristol, and we delivered. But it was squeaky bum. <laughs> you reckon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I have. I, I think I've watched it back once in the well. How many years past are we now? Uh, five years. I think I've watched it once because I just I still don't believe it's real. Best thing about that for me was uh, that was a Wednesday night, wasn't it? Yeah. And then I think we were maybe day two of the <laughs> the aftermath. Yeah. And I can't remember. I've gone to collect the car from somewhere, and I'm, I'm with Ryan Lamb, who obviously kicked the yeah. the winning the winning kick. Yeah. And it, I mean, all for any kicker, normally that's pretty straightforward. Just off, you know, straighter than on the fifteen meter line. Yeah. 
And bear in mind the one before, the conversion before, he's drop kicked it over from in front of the sticks. Which was berserk. I didn't know no that need. afterwards. No need. Absolutely no need. I mean, anyone can scuff a drop kick. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Not Lammy, man. He's ice cold. Right, so... Honestly, anxiety just thinking about it. <laughs> so he's chipped it over the cross, as if uh, the, uh, the the drop kick. Imagine, the first if, he, time. Uh, imagine if he'd missed it, though. That's game over. That's like game the, over. It's curtains. Eight we points. are done. Eight points. So he gets a six-point deficit. Obviously, still needs the kick to win on the final try. And I've said to him, so we're back in the car, just me and him. So he's not playing up to, I don't know, a crowd for the lads in a coffee yeah. shop, or he's not on the beers or something like that. He's just me and him. I said, mate, so a bit of a nausey like, rugby question here, but I just, I've been thinking about it now and, and, and I need to know the truth. What is going through your head when you line that one up? You know, yeah. The 10 million pound shot you, you, at a goal. You, you talk, you, well, the 10 million pound man. 10 million pound as, man. As, as he reminded us in pre-season. <laughs> um, and he said, what do you mean? I was like, well, I mean, what's your bum looking like? Is it very squeaky or what? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, honestly... I've never been so confident in my life. Really? Like, come on, no. I'll be just be honest because it's just me. Yeah. It's just, I won't I'm tell not anyone. Telling anyone. If you said you were really nervous and you were like crying and stuff, I'm not going to tell anyone. Just me. Promise. He goes, honestly, not a problem. He just knew. I just it was it was pretty much straight, wasn't it? I was like, no, no, no it wasn't. It you, wasn't. You're missing the point. <laughs> and he and he didn't take long over it either. <laughs> I just chipped it over. Do you know the thing was? I remember the week before when we played them at Bristol, and he was kicking dead fish that day. Yeah. It, like, and we actually joked like about it. Poly bags in the wind. I remember just... driving into Ashton Gate and Lammy sitting behind me, and we were having we were having a bit of a chat, and he said like, "Oh, I hope I packed my boots today. I don't want to be kicking any dead fish." And he kicked. But it was dead. your try. The last. Was that right? Of the first leg that he converted to. Give us was it a one point lead going into the second leg? Yeah, I think it was just hanging, yeah. we pick and go off the back of oh, nudging yeah. off. Does, doesn't say it doesn't say it that does, on the record book. It, it, does, it, it doesn't. I should milk it out a bit more. That's but a fifty meter intercept. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't have the legs to go in, but yeah, it was it was that try after bumping off Marco Mamo, ironically, who joined us the year after. Course, yeah. Um, and then Lamy slotted the kick, and I remember the feeling. I was like, I was. I had this feeling of just pure joy and I remember J JT and GJ <laughs> yeah. or someone running around going Poker face! Poker face! It was JT. And I'm Shut like up. trying my best poker face. No, so we were obviously walking down the tunnel singing Lady Gaga on poker face, <laughs> um, but um yeah, I mean for some for back to Lammy, like if if you want someone to take on the responsibility mm. of that, I'm not he won't mind me saying this, but he's not one of the best kickers around. But again, it's not really having the best kicker around to do that. It's, it's just someone with the balls of steel yeah. to step up and want to kick it in the first yeah. place. Which he had. Which, yeah, clearly he had. He didn't even rock him at all. And um, then he did obviously the Didier Drogba celebration. The Didier will go long in yeah. long in my memory. So. Um, and then after that, it was all bets off. And we, we had a pretty good social for a couple of days, didn't we? Yeah. I think it was four or five days. Well, three, four or five days, depending on whether you had a think, wife yeah. and a family or yeah, not. Yeah, I think three was me maxed out. Yeah. No, but I we didn't want to see or speak to any of the lads for a long time. We certainly enjoyed <laughs> ourselves. And then and then the lead-in from that, I, I have to say that was probably one of my best rugby memories. The lead-in from that was the endless like 16 week pre-season before the premiership started it was a world cup year do you remember that we were changing the porta cabins in the in the car park oh, true, yeah. and yeah all the anticipation for someone like me is that right we've done the job and now we get to go and play 
in the Premiership. Yeah. Everything's just set up for us to just go and make of it whatever we want. Because he'd obviously signed and then you had to wait another 12 months to play top level. Exactly. So haven't obviously played it, but... I, I haven't played it a little bit at Ulster, but really not having cemented myself in yeah. a position where I was playing it regularly. I know someone like you who who at that stage probably already had well over 100 caps. Um, Doesn't that actually helped you, though, in hindsight? You might not have wanted to have played a year championship. I, I think the year in the championship did me the world of good yeah. because I was going up against some guys who were bigger than in the premiership. Like That championship was full of mutants. And yeah. as a front rower, as a hooker, I think I was 20, 23 or 24 at the time, You know, the first couple of weeks I was getting my head kicked in. Yeah. And we had quite a young front row. You know, Sharky had joined and he was the similar age to me. Um, Bowser had joined, he was the same age as me. We had a lot of young guys in there, mixed in with the likes of Gus Creevy, who his experience was invaluable. But I would say but, yes. But he could, he could only make the bench at Rotherham away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he'd gone from playing the All Blacks the week before in yeah. Dunedin and then came back and was playing Mosley away yeah. and getting changed in a porter cabin. And, um, but yeah, he was always happy and smiling, wasn't yeah. he? Um, so yeah, I think that year did as well. And then, so the first game we play it back in the Premiership, Northampton. Do you remember? Northampton yeah, at night, home, yeah. Tommy yeah. Heathcote drops over the yeah. the, the, the drop kick and, and we're here. This Premiership's still easy enough, isn't it? Yeah. We're top off to one-on-one, one. we're top of the table. Yeah. But again, that, I think that was the champ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that didn't age well <laughs> no it didn't age well and then quickly you, you go into what the premiership's about and it's a long old season isn't it yeah. it's a tough it's a tough competition no it is I mean I, it, you know that, that, that was my last year the club didn't feature much first team rugby at all I remember um, you played the Newcastle game though you scored two tries no yes Yeah. I think there was another yeah another 12 injuries so <laughs> Got, You're too modest. Re- reluctantly got dragged in from, uh, you know, the the Shags team. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, again, it was one of those. I, I knew going into that year that would be my last year, and didn't want to um, sort of drag my heels and just be a bit of a sap and, and you know a, a bit of a drain on on the squad. So yeah, I think it's important to be you know as upbeat as you can in any environment. But if you if you've got something you can add. Then, then you then you've got to create or find that value or find that platform to, to add it, um, and you know whether that was taking a bit of a lead with the second team boys or the youngsters, then you know that that was a way to add a, hopefully a bit of experience or positivity around around the group. Otherwise, you just think you know well, what are you doing? They brought for? these guys in in my position. It's pretty clear who's going to be playing on the Saturday. There's no point in knocking on. You know, Dean Ryan's door, Carl Hogg's door every Monday morning say, what do I need to do to get better? It's not necessarily about that every week. It's just these guys are in here to play first-team rugby. You'll get your opportunity when they're away, when they're injured, when we're playing a cup game. And in reality, that's kind of how it works. And you do sometimes need players to... Fill those gaps. Toe the line a little bit. And... Yeah. and, and um, yeah, fill those gaps, and I recognised that I was going to be leaving anyway. I wasn't necessarily that disappointed about leaving mm. because the last thing I wanted to do was spend another year, generally speaking, holding a tackle bag. Um, mm. Because then I think that would wear thin my patience, and you can only be sort of that positive for so long. Of course, saying I was really positive before it gets really challenging. Do you know what I mean? I, was yeah. like, I wanted. I played rugby because I enjoyed the playing on the Saturday. Yeah, I, I didn't join that environment just to hold a tackle bag and to no. play second team rugby so um, 
it was uh, a sort of natural time to to leave, I think. And um, and do you look back on that? You know that that long stint with Worcester with fondness overall. Yeah, but and that's the thing. It was a, it was it was a deliberate decision going into that last year that I want to leave on good terms with this club because I've had some good times here, met some great friends here. Um, you know, you know, if 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 not playing as regularly as I had done before, uh, tainted my perception of the whole mm. club and the city and the people. That would be a real shame. Yeah, just because I'm not getting selected. And why am I not getting selected? Well, bring in Vinan Olafir, World Cup winners medal and forty odd caps for South Africa. Let's be a bit realistic. I mean, he was very good for Worcester. He was very solid. Um, not a sort of world well he literally is a world beater but <laughs> terrible choice of words um, but but not not a really fancy player but no. he's just the rock solid you know performer makes few mistakes um someone that you probably needed around the likes of Ryan Lamb Ryan Mills these people who are very creative yeah. and make stuff happen and so when Viney comes in you're like ah right well I know I'm not the kind of player that does all the fancy stuff so you know, we were quite lucky in that 13 department because we had yourself, who had international experience, long-term club member. Vainan came in, and then we had Max Stelling as well. So we were that, spoilt for choice. That, that was the thing. In that championship year, Max got given his opportunity. And, I mean, he took it and ran with it. He And, and I mean, he scored down his tries he scored, but... I think he scored something like 24 tries that year. He's, he's just running them, running them in for fun. Yeah. And um, it, it was then... You know, the management then had the decision to, you know, do we get give him a shot at the top level, or do we bring in someone a bit more experienced? Vinan mm. became available, and then and then he joined. So, um, do you remember when Vinan became available? Do you remember the game? Was it the Barbars game? Yeah, so we came back from ten days up the mountain in teen. That was it. Having, I was going to play hammered, yeah. and I remember them announcing the team, and I was praying that I wasn't playing because we'd just come back from teen. Boys' bodies were all over the place. And the Babas were rocking in the town. And I remember speaking to Vinan afterwards and he said, like, we were we were still drunk when we played that game. Yeah. And they were unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, they were good. I think in hindsight I'm glad I didn't play. But... Yeah. No, I... You don't miss any of that stuff. Oh. Or or in a sick sort of way, do you miss some of the digging together and I know you're into your, your fitness and, and you were always like genuinely like top five fittest in the team. But surely some of that stuff just you're glad to have rid of it. Yeah, some of the, yeah, some of it for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I've always liked being fit and, mm. and that sort of training aspect of it. But continue to do a lot of it now. It's, it's not really up, up and down mountains for being, <laughs> for being honest. But you're not carrying sausage bags up and down mountains now. <sighs> no. Yeah, I don't miss that no, at all. I think I pulled my calf in inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we round up the time at Worcester and. And then, very naturally, there's a progression into what what's next. Did, what we what was going through your mind in terms of what did the future hold? I know you leaving was. I remember us us presenting you your jersey in the changing room, and I and I have the video on my phone, and it still like cracks me up a bit because, you know, you're very genuinely emotional with with the the idea of it being done. But what did the future look like at that stage in your mind? Yeah, so I um I think it's it's really nice to be able to be in control of your future of what you're doing and then and being able to again not being around the bush 
I knew that I wasn't going to be kept on at, at Worcester going into that last year of that contract. But of course, you know, you play the whole charade around Christmas. You go up to the director of rugby and say, listen, I'm out of contract. It's January 1st, round the corner. Let's have a conversation yeah. what's going on. And I've, I mean, I know that I'm off yeah. at the end of the season. Yeah. I know that he knows that I know that I'm off. But you still <laughs> go through it just for the crack and, you know, more than anything. Um, and so, yeah. He's like he must have Dean must have thought cheeky cheeky sod you know mm. he's played a maximum handful of games for the first team this this campaign and he's talking to me about renegotiating a contract but you know in a world where you don't ask you don't get I thought I've got to ask the question absolutely uh, so I go back in, in January and said Dean about that that contract we're now past January the first and I still don't, <laughs> still don't have a contract and I said oh I said Dean listen before we get going I'm just going to say that. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Thank you for the opportunity. But I know that there's better people in my position that are younger, English qualified and probably cheaper. So you should probably sign, sign them <laughs> instead of me. And he didn't know if I was obviously you don't taking them. the me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean we all knew we all knew that was the that was the case. Yeah. And he went, Yeah. I said, Well so I put my hand out, shook his hand, said, you know, thank thanks for the opportunity and 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 for the rest of the, for the remaining five or six months, you know, I really en- actually enjoyed it. Not, I mean, I you knew kind of let go and just yeah, enjoy we, the always, for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, being uh, say in that environment for a long time, you want to leave with positive memories. It's been mm. a significant part of my life. I was certainly ready for a change, and you know, Worcester were certainly ready for a change in that department. They've got to continue these are professional environments to get better players. And you know, if they're available, and they were available, um, so you know, no hard feelings. I was looking for a different challenge anyway. You know, I was probably guilty of being in a bit of a comfort zone, which is why I might not have been playing as well as I could have been playing. All sorts of things, and yeah, and I think that's when I sort of made the decision to, you know, if it was going to be full time rugby after Worcester, that would have involved a championship environment, but not the say the the Worcester or the Bristol environment where they were basically operating as premiership clubs in the championship. It's the other side of it. Like, the other side of it where, you know, these guys are in the flog of themselves, the same number of games a year, they're still getting the same injuries, but they're not getting half the, well, let's be honest, they're not getting paid the same amount, they're not getting the same medical care, they're not getting the same treatment if they have a career-ending injury mm. um so I, I, at an age when i wanted to kick on i didn't want to regress in a, in a professional capacity so made the decision to stop playing full-time rugby at all uh, altogether yeah so i made the decision to stop playing full-time rugby altogether and then uh put all my energies into property development which is what i set up when i left worcester and sort of supplemented that with a couple of years playing part-time rugby Whereas certainly more about the enjoyment without the yeah. added pressure. I've had a year at Mosley and a year at Coventry, which were level three at the time. And again, you're playing with a group of good guys, winning a few games and enjoying it. You still get the sense of belonging though as well. Yeah, you're it's working the same as part environment. Of They're yeah. all the same environment. That's what I've realised. It's a good group of lads. You're not going to be best friends with everyone, but then... That's that's the that's, case. That's in, the case in any of any, any team environment. You know, you've got a, your core group of mates. It's an unusual environment anyway, where everyone ha- has a lot in common, and, mm. you, and you probably generally get along a lot better 
in a team sports team environment than you would do in a in an office for example in a normal working environment but um yeah i mean th- th- those years playing a couple of, couple of years part-time were were fun and um i wasn't ready to finish playing altogether and then at 30 you know knocked on the head so it's um so it's been a fairly smooth transition yeah, something that i think all we can only dream of and and that, and that i think is down to the attitude that you took you took to it but i think that i was almost lucky yeah yes i'd agree with you but also lucky that in that last year the writing was definitely on the wall that i was going to be leaving anyway so i had time which is key i think to to get that control yeah. i had time to you know come to terms with right i'm leaving worcester what does that look like what are the other full-time rugby environments realistically that i want to you know play in or that would yeah. have me um and then you know 28 i was we were looking to have a family and you know all these other things it's the much, factors much, are, they all come much, into they it. all come into it you look at the whole package and you think well you're gonna knock on the head at some point yeah you all have grand plans of playing getting 100 caps and playing to your 35 and, and and then off you go and you're set up but yeah. let's be a bit realistic about it I think happens being, to very think, few yeah, I think being realistic is probably the, the, the common denominator of this whole thing. so when when you decided that rugby was no longer going to be the main part you, that career was going to start to be the the main aspect of what you're looking to do we then fast forward to the point in which rugby effectively stopped you were obviously looking for ways to continue to keep yourself fit keep yourself moving keep yourself getting that buzz and that hit that you get from from making your you're obviously like i said always one of the fittest guys in the club what sort of challenge have you thrown yourself into uh for so the people listening they explain what you're doing and what the cause is too I think I think well firstly why I'm doing it before the what I'm doing um is for for me and it's it's very well documented not just in rugby but in in all in all sports is people coming out of the game and and let's say struggling mentally to deal with the change um different environment not being around a team of you know a group of mates really who just take the mickey out of each other for, non-stop or, non-stop and and you get paid for it so um i tried again in that last year when i had less time playing and more time to sort of be reflecting on what i was going to be doing i tried to recognize you know what i enjoyed about the game and the environment and knowing that i'd be say transitioning out of the game over those two years and for the last two years having transitioned out of it I tried to recognise what I enjoyed about the game or, or my sort of day to day and how I could then replicate that you know after leaving the full time rugby environment so so for me as an example to to answer those questions so started my my, my career in, in property that was going to be I suppose where I get paid great but I don't get to play rugby on a weekend. I don't get that sort of com- competition element. I'm not training. So I went and played a bit of part-time stuff. Okay, but then am I getting the you know, rugby club environment, the changing room, having the crack? Well, yeah, because you're still in that environment on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Great for two years. When you finish that all together, you're still then not getting the team environment. You're not getting that 
buzz on a Saturday, a competition. So you're just left with, great, you've got a, a career where you can earn some money, but is it ultimately, is it as satisfying as what you had a couple of years ago? And for me, uh, you know, I love I love training. I love keeping active. I'm no good at just going to the gym and standing in front of the mirror doing bicep curls. I don't know if you can tell, but <laughs> but um, ridiculously decided to swim the English Channel. I was just going to say, what a challenge you set yourself. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's it had to be significant. It had to be something. You know, I know I love it. I love the training. Really, you know, throw myself into it and. Um, so yeah. for people who don't know, you are going to be swimming, attempting to swim the English Channel on what date? Uh, so I've got a, the 1st of August is the date that's, I say, penned in, but it's probably pencil because you've got to be a little bit flexible because of the, you know, a storm could come in. It could be a day either side or two days either side. So, so yeah, all being well, 1st of August. So in and year. around the start of, the, of August. So. Yeah what sort of background do you have in swimming? I mean, people will, will either think you're Superman or you've got a background in swimming. Is that true? Do you have, have you swimmed at a decent level before? I mean, I genuinely, I'm just putting myself in your position. I'm fairly stubborn. <clears throat> I enjoy training. I don't think it's physically in me to do what you're doing. I don't know if I physically have the capability to do that off the back of very little swimming experience. So where's your, what is the background? I actually think that you could do it. And no, you could. I'd um, float anyway. Yeah. Um, you'd uh, you'd drift. Yeah, you just bob. Just so. bob along, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, as a as a youngster, I did. I was going to say quite a bit of swimming, but nowhere near as much as a lot of people. I was, you know, going to a swimming club with, but it was a couple of nights after school. Um, but as soon as rugby becomes moderately serious, uh, that any swimming just gets put on hold i mean these guys i was probably doing it twice a week these kids uh, i say kids they were young uh training eight nine times a week before after school it's so like you're in last place constantly yeah but you know the, but again a bit like the rugby you've got to enjoy it and yeah. who's enjoying nine sessions a week when you're you know nine ten eleven years old not me it is like pushy parent you know but then i think at top level swimming you have to. You probably have to do that, and that's why they peak in their early twenties, and you, you're done by mid twenties, really. Um, but yeah, I suppose the the fundamentals of technique and those bits and pieces uh, might have been there somewhere. I just had to dig deep into that muscle memory and find it, which took a bit of time. <laughs> um, I can imagine. But so, I think you could have done it. I think you could. I think you know, anyone could do it with a bit of, even if they they haven't got. Any, if they've got no background, you, you, with a bit of time, your body adjusts so quickly to a different yeah. training stimulus. I think I'll leave it to you. I'll be the, I'll be there supporting you, but I'm not not sure I'll throw myself up to do that bring the anytime soon. I'll bring the class on to the beers. Um, so how do you go about what what's the preparation for this? I know you recently did the actual length, well, the 21 miles from coast to coast in David Lloyd Pool, pool at Worcester. Yeah. It's going to be more like a 24 to 25 mile swim, correct? Yeah, because you do, I mean, I say, you're right, you do a, a little bit longer because you do, you sort of follow a bit of an S shape. That's because the tide pushes and pulls you. Um, but in, as the crow flies, it's it's 21 miles um, from a place called Samphire Ho in Folkestone to uh, Cap Grenet in northern France, which is a little 
peninsula that sticks out of the of northern France. But I mean, again, the, the tides could. I don't know a huge amount about tide, but fortunately, there's people who'll be there on the day advising who know the guy in charge of the boat, for example, who will give you a call about an hour before we set off, two hours, and say, right, pack your bags, we're going now. <laughs> <laughs> so you do a few star jumps put your speedos on off off we go yeah but you know so so depending on those tides how much how strong they are you could potentially miss that cap in northern france and uh you know add a few hours onto your onto your swim time that you probably hadn't factored in for yeah um, so there's only a certain amount that's in your control i mean it's just it's mind-boggling for me but i i saw i actually saw you do that swim in david lloyd pool you know there was a lot that um that went into it. Obviously, you're you're doing the swim for Acorns Hospice. You're raising That's the money right, for yeah. Acorns, Acorns Hospice. Hospice yeah. Um, so I came down to to support you, and I mean, you literally got in the pool at seven. Yeah, I think it was half seven. So half seven, pretty much seven in the night. It, yeah, it was like I remember the picture of your Fitbit, and it's eleven hours fifty minutes of activity. So staring down the barrel of that on roughly the first of August. What sort of things have you had to consider in terms of you know we talk about this team that's going to be with you? What, yeah. what do those guys get up to? What, what's their what's their jobs? Yeah, the, well, the, the David Lloyd exercise was um, it, yeah doing the distance, getting that sort of volume through your body is I think important from a psychological point of view. Yes, I know what that that many strokes feels like. Um, <laughs> every every one, <laughs> yeah, every single one, um, and also you can play around with different foods so because you're in a pool not the scene and it's frowned upon if you have a wee or a poo in the deep end you've <laughs> got to get out and do that sort of thing um so i sort of factored in breaks four or five minute breaks after um so it was just over 33k so again the the, the block the train the, the swim blocks at the beginning were a lot longer than the ones at the end because obviously it was tiring and had these four four or five minute breaks where I could go to the loo or feed and write down what I was eating so I can you know work on that and it's a bespoke feeding plan for the for the channel that mm. you know every gram of protein carbohydrate every sugar is is it's science you know method behind the madness science. it's not just yeah uh it's not just <laughs> yeah so you recover as ish it's uh no, it's actually thought out and, and you've tried and tested it, you know, in in a in a swimming environment. So um that was the purpose of that. But yeah, on the actual day you've got they call it a pilot boat, so the the boat that is um sort of escorting you across the channel. Yeah, it's the busiest shipping lane in the world. There's lots of traffic going along the channel, so east to west, but also obviously Dover to Calais as well, north south. So it's in navigating that a lot of tankers ferries yeah you you it's not just a case of jumping in and cracking on and, and cracking on you, you'd be in all sorts of bother if we just tried that between the two of us now we'd be probably leaving at the wrong time swimming into the tide you can't yeah. swim into the tide you could that's why you've got to go at a specific time yeah and that you know and so you're as, as i say your swim is dictated by the tides not by the, the daylight for example um, as it stands i think i'm on for a 8.30 in the morning like departure time um, on that 1st of August. However, if, for example, they're thinking, well, storm might come in, let's just go the night before to err on the side of caution. You, the tide before is 9 o'clock at night, so I could be facing first seven hours in pitch black darkness, 
which is berserk how do you attack that don't know. Is, is, is that just something you're gonna have to just go I haven't done any night swimming yet um i've got some booked in in uh, first week of may but i think that's obviously purely psychological it's the same water it's just, you know you can't really see anything in the water if it's no. daylight anyway it's just it's, it's just all, be your mind it's shadow yes yeah, your mind asking questions it's obviously cold and lonely and yes you've got people on the boat but you're not having a chat with anyone you're not hearing anything it's just that mind doubting you and preparing for just being really uncomfortable so i think almost tactically and there'll be a huge the, the tactical element to this is almost what you're going to think about at various points of the swim so it's not just plodding along for 21 miles it's right we're going to go hard for six hours and then benefit from that first tide change when it should swing you down sort of southwest and you're not allowed to bring any sort of airpods or or, or no things you, to listen to podcasts so you, music. i mean they're quite strict with the the rules with it all so you've got to as, as blokes you just got to wear you know what we know speedos or budgie smugglers um you can't you can't wear sort of a, a wetsuit or anything like that that's going to age with, fat, with buoyancy or yeah so you can wear apply goose fat or different products are available um <laughs> disclaimer uh yeah obviously the salt water itself will actually keep you more buoyant than being in a pool yeah so and you do notice it like immediately getting in the water but the yeah so the wetsuit would aid even more with buoyancy keep you a bit warmer not allowed and then, you know if you're taking food and drink or you know, all, all food will be in liquid form anyway um, they've basically got to throw you a bottle or a shaker that they've made on board. You've got, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds to knock that back and then off you go for another 40 minutes. 40 so you just fun. tread water and smash it? Or, or, or swim on your back, yeah. Swim on your back. Or just idea. something just to tick over. But um, you've got to think, if you're treading water for, um, like I don't know, 30 seconds... Couldn't do it. <laughs> well, if you're treading water for 30 seconds and you have 20 breaks, let's say, well, there's 10 minutes that you're treading water for. Mm. And when you're treading water, you don't just stay there. You just drift. So it's like, it's in your interest just to keep going. You know, so you keep those feeds as short as possible, as fast as possible. Um, Stuff like jelly babies, gels, glucose yeah, gels. This is the thing, this is what I learned from that David Lloyd swim. Jelly babies are quite, even with teeth like mine, they, they <laughs> take a bit of time to get through, you know what I mean? For, for the actual energy that you take on. So it's yeah. all liquid, it's so okay, much quicker. Yeah. And you can't actually, I found when you're swimming, actually chew something. It's really difficult without lead of water. Yeah. Um, again, really sort of trivial bits like that that you've actually got to practice. Pr- practice bobbing up and down in water being hit by waves in your face and trying to scull a drink so it's yeah it's all boring stuff but it certainly needs considering between now and august and, and practicing yeah i think it's uh, it's fascinating to this challenge ahead of you and i know you're up to it i think you know you're definitely going to give it your absolute best um one of the things i have considered and i know it's maybe not the nice thing to talk about but what is the crack with going to the toilet is it just a case of Slip. do the Paula Radcliffe, the Paula Radcliffe <laughs> yeah. in the ocean yeah yeah but you don't have any cameras I mean someone will get it on bloody Snapchat won't they don't oh they? yeah well, I hope so yeah and then just swim on as fast fish, as possible fish food yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the other things obviously you've had to acclimatise your body over time to cold water what, what sort of processes have you taken to do that yeah so I mean that's very much ongoing and it's you know, some people, it's well documented, the 
alleged um, physical and mental benefits from being in cold water. There's loads of people that are, you know, on social media that I've, I've stumbled across because of this new hobby um, that, that, you know, all through the winter will get themselves out into the sea. But, the, you know, the channel now is about nine degrees. It's eight degrees. It is fresh. You know, the, the temperature in the summer is likely to be 16, 17 and, and that makes a huge difference. You know, every degree is significant. So I haven't been do, in, in cold water um, over the winter because I need to be spending really long periods of time in water that's a little bit warmer than it is now. So as opposed to just going for 30 seconds in here, 30 seconds, I mean, I do have a, you know, a big outdoor sort of ice bath in my garden, which occasionally I'll just hop into from, but I, like, is that making a difference? Probably not really. It's just yeah. psychologically just, being able to throw yourself in cold water which is still important though yeah um yeah it is it's it's, it's the long periods of um of, of time being in the, in the cold i think um you know i've tried to put on a bit of body fat uh which a lot of people say oh well, come and live with me i'll be well it's actually not easy when you're swimming a lot no i can imagine burning you're burning a incredible yeah. amount of calories and i know you never really held much body fat anyway so it's probably hard enough to get that onto the bottom yeah body. so i've now just a skinny fat man really <laughs> absolutely no muscle so I honestly went to the gym the other day and it was pathetic yeah, at you, best. Don't, you don't need to be able to lift weights mate you just need to be able oh, to swim right, just as well I had the broomstick on I've saw dogs <laughs> <laughs> so on on the boat as well there's going to be a safety doctor what's his what's his job in terms of assessing conditions your health and well you say there's not actually a doctor on board but the, the guy the pilot the captain he can he he's the guy who makes the call, is he? Yeah. So there's a there's, well, fingers crossed. We don't need a defib. But there's a defib on board, and he can he can use it. There's also someone from the the CSA Channel Swimming Association who makes sure everything, all the rules are uh, adhered to. And um, so, whose job is it to make sure that that if the conditions get, whose job is it on that boat to ensure that the conditions are okay for you and that your physical health isn't going to be compromised yes. more than it would be when you're trying to swim, you know, roughly twenty five miles. Yeah. So there'll be six people on that boat: my brother, my mate, my father in law, uh, sort of of my team, uh, and a, a swim coach as well, who I've been more of a mentor. Really, like he's been writing a few programs. I've been getting a load of advice from he will be making a lot of those calls. I think the captain himself is obviously hugely experienced. He'll know based on the speed that I'm going or the boat's going because the boat will just be plodding along alongside me. If the tide is going at one pace, you know, at, I don't know, three knots and I'm swimming at two knots, for example, then we're going backwards by one knot. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, they'll be tracking my, my route on a map. So there's a good chance that I could be swimming on the spot because of the tides for a couple of hours. However, <laughs> if I'm still looking strong and I'm not fatiguing too much, then they'll let me plow through that bit of dead time to come out the other end when there might be a you tide change tide. And, 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 and off I go again. If I'm deteriorating or stroke rate drops significantly in this, there'll be a person from the, let's say the, the CSA monitoring stroke rate and, I think there'll be a whole load of decisions made or, or things assessed prior to 
pulling me out of the water in the event that needs to, that needs to happen. I think it's great. You've also got a nice mix of guys. You're going to keep you going. You got you've got moral support, but at the same time, you you can just concentrate on swimming. Yeah, your job is just to go in there and swim and and let those people make those dis- informed decisions on on your behalf. Yeah, I think that, I mean having that, even though it's you're deliberately putting them in place to keep your morale high. I think it's still, you know, it's it's almost like it's like forced motivation, but it's still important to have them there because familiar faces. Um, but also people that can, you know, say a few firm words to you and, and, you know, if I'm feeling sorry for myself after a few hours, then they, they can, can tell me just to, you know, strap some on and off off we go again. Nice mix. Um, last couple. So what does it look like when you finish? I mean, I know there's going to be an extreme amount of fatigue, but when you get onto the beach and, you, and touch wood, fingers crossed, you've completed it, what, what do you have planned? Well, nothing at the moment. I mean, so when you to finish it, you've got to get onto to dry land. So if if I land on the beach, um, then obviously I've got to get onto dry sand. So I mean, in theory, if I don't know what time I'll be finishing, I don't know what time at the moment I'll be starting for sure. Um, but if I land in the middle of the day, there's a good chance there'll be people, I don't know, sunbathing or walking their dog on the beach and. Yeah. I think they get the people that do that there often get used to people landing on their shores, having swum the channel. However, if they help you onto the beach, if they pull you out of the water, skim over, you're done. You'd be screaming, "Get off me! Don't touch me!" Uh, yeah, just just leave me. Don't touch me. Poker face. <laughs> Poker face. <laughs> Poker face. <laughs> yeah, so you've got to. It's got to be unaided, start to finish. So you've got to get out onto dry land, and. You know, from some of the research and stuff I've seen online, often there's a couple of people that can see you coming in from, I don't know, a few hundred yards, and they welcome you onto the beach, and then, you know, your, your pilot boat sends in a little dinghy to pick you up, and and then it's just you're just recovering. Again, you you know you've been. It's going to take anyway. I reckon between thirteen and eighteen hours probably. Um, that sounds quite vague, but you miss that you miss that cap that, that we'll be targeting then you could just drift like east, east towards Calais and yeah. you know it's way for the next tide change really you know I was, I was speaking to a guy who, who was on for a 12 hour crossing 11 and a half hour crossing took him 18 hours because he missed the cap tide was a bit stronger or he was a bit slower than you know the first part of his swim and then he was a mile he was a mile from the French coast for about five hours that is unbelievable he's swimming trying to swim forward but being pushed east tide changed and he just took him in so five hours of just drifting really but treading water but working hard and he did complete it and he completed it because the people on board looked at his stroke rate he was okay he was just hanging in there clinging and then out. the tide just took him in well yeah the, you know he wasn't working against the tide so he's working against it so you know there's there's a lot of parallels with the rope stuff you know you've, you've got to be well prepared but also you just got to you've got to have a bit of luck on the day you've got to hope that hope the elements are with you or just not against you and uh yeah if, if, if we do get to the other side you know recover on the way back it's a two-hour journey i think on the boat as you chug all your way back you know a lot of warm clothing absolutely warm drinks they say warm up slowly don't try and warm up too quickly okay they'll try and keep you awake because if you fall asleep which is obviously the likelihood then you cool down even more so the guys will be trying to keep you awake to keep you warming up hopefully by the time we get back to dover or folkestone we'll um have a beer absolutely <laughs> a well-earned beer hopefully yeah. um 
Okay, and then just to round up, I suppose the, we we mentioned earlier that the swim is for Acorns, uh, yeah. Acorns Hospice. What what drove you to choose Acorns as the beneficiary of what you're doing? Well, as you know, because you're the um, ambassador. Yeah. Worcester have always had a, a close relationship with Acorns. Um, certainly, when I was when I was at Worcester, we we spent a bit of time, quite a bit of time, or had a presence down at the hospice. And I think Sam Betty was the Acorns ambassador at the club at the time, which you've taken on the mantle off. And um, I don't know, it was a you, you go to Acorns. This is the impression I got when I when I first visited. It's an incredibly positive environment, despite. You know the, the the conditions that these children and their families are living with. A lot of the staff there and, and volunteers are family members of these children. And you know, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a hospice for children with life limiting, life threatening conditions. And yeah, it was just an incredibly you know humbling experience. You know, we're all guilty of complaining about. I don't know, a tough training day. You, you go, you go in on a Tuesday, and you've got double contact or something like that, and then realise actually there's people living in a much worse situation than double contacts on a Tuesday, um, and it, you know it's real, and they get on with it, and there's smiles on faces. So, you know, having had that bond with the the hospice from from the Warriors days, and then I suppose having children myself, got you know, two girls under under three now, and we're, we're really lucky that they're healthy, but Again, it's a bit cliche, but it does put a lot into perspective. Of course, you can then imagine the families that you know have have these challenges on a day to day basis. So, um, yeah, it was quite an easy option, and and it's it's on the doorstep as well. So, you know, geographically, we're still close to the to the hospice, and you know they've been great supporting me. And if you know uh, the cost of running these places is huge yeah it's something that i couldn't get my it head is around massive and i don't want to get the numbers wrong now but it's um you know it, it's, i mean it's been in the press that the the, the branch up at um warsaw uh, it was close to closing down yeah and they've secured funding to keep it going and it's but the level of funding for the time and how long that lasts i mean what we're doing is a, a tiny little contribution but you know they, they rely on not just the massive donations from you know, huge companies and the like but but also people doing amazing, challenges amazing and, and fundraising like so if, if we you know with the help of everyone who's donated and pushed it on social media and everything else can make the smallest difference then brilliant so just to just to back that up if you if you're listening and you're interested in making a donation to the amazing thing groves he's doing if you head over to alex groves twitter page it's a-l-e-x-g-r-o-v-e his just giving link is in his bio and any donations would be would be hugely appreciated for sure. Um, I think it's I think it's time to round it up. I think what you're doing, um, you know, with this swim, Groovesy, to me is just superhuman, and I, I'm you know I'm super proud to be your mate. Um, I think if there's anything that we as a as a collective in Worcester can do to help, you you've got our support straight away. So, thank you very much for coming on to our thank first you ever me. first ever episode. Um, if anyone has questions or, or wants to re- reach out to Groovesy, get on to him on Twitter. Um, he'll probably ignore you for a week and get back to you afterwards like he does with me. Not true. Um, and listen, a big thank you. We wish you all the best. It's for an amazing cause in, in Acorns and um, we're, we're super proud and we're, uh, we know you'll give it absolutely your best whenever 
the time comes to go and complete the challenge. So big thanks and thank you for listening to the very first episode of Wind Your Neckin'.